0: Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies.
1: Happy holidays everyone and welcome back to the Startup Ear podcast. I'm Frank Gruber. On this episode, I'm talking with Kara Golden about her journey as an entrepreneur and her new best-selling book Undaunted, which just released in October of 2020. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint Inc, the leading unsweetened flavored water. It's pretty tasty stuff if you haven't tried it yet. It's been out there for a little about about a decade now, so you've probably seen it around. If you haven't, uh, please do give it a give it a try. It tastes great. It doesn't have any sugar in it. Uh, personally, I like the watermelon flavor. It's my favorite, I think. And uh, but there's so many other flavors too. So so you definitely are gonna want to check that out. Also, she's uh, more recently created um, some hand sanitizer, uh, which has been super handy uh, during the pandemic uh, here, where you're constantly putting on hand sanitizer. This stuff smells like well, mine smells like a grapefruit, I believe. It's it smells pretty good, and it doesn't or citric like a citric uh, lemon actually or something like that. So kind of a lemony lemony flavor. But either way, they have other flavors as well. Don't sample them on your tongue, they're for your hands, <laughs> I just had to say it, but uh, good stuff and doesn't have that alcoholic smell. So, um, She has also named, been named on a number of lists, uh, including InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's uh, Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, and the list goes on. Um, when I talked to Kara most recently at the Start of the Year Summit, um, she shared her story, which never ceases to amaze me, and obviously is very inspiring. But I hope that you also find it, you know, as inspiring and, and actually pull some some things from it. So, hopefully, you enjoy the conversation. It'll be uh, really interesting. And uh, before we jump jump into that, though, I wanted to share some thoughts uh, from our team, the established team, who's been working. This entire year, um, you know, has been obviously tough on a lot of people, but we've continued to push forward and, and actually forge new relationships and uh, with our start of the year program, as well as with our some of our other um, work that we do within the uh, innovation ecosystem. So we do a number of things with different organizations to help them with their programs and strategies, as well as um, producing uh, both well, it used to be in-person events as well as um, now virtual events and worked with a number of organizations to create everything from, you know, one-day pop-up events to to actual, um, you know, just, conferences, things of that nature. Uh, the Unvalley Conference was one of them. Uh, we produced uh, some things for them. And so, yeah, just uh, all that kind of work. So we've been really busy. Our team's po- talked and worked with a number of different startups as well as thought leaders throughout the year and wanted to share some tips and, and things that uh, startup founders might find interesting. So first up, we've got our Director of Strategic Operations, John Guidos, with some tips for startup founders. John?
2: Hi, everyone. I want to talk with you all today about the idea of team transparency in the startup world. I've had more conversations about this topic throughout my career than I can count, and I thought I would discuss the lessons I've learned with you all today on this podcast. Now, the term transparency has been a hot topic lately. In fact, in almost every employee survey that I've been involved with over the past few years, um, they've addressed transparency in one form or another, and the request for more company transparency is generally one of the most prevalent pieces of feedback that I've seen from employees and team members. And look, who doesn't want transparency? I think we all do. It makes us feel more important within the company and also helps us make personal decisions that can affect our careers and just our future in general. But for a company or someone in a leadership position, too much transparency can be detrimental to the morale of the team or can cause unwanted turnover issues should the company be going through a rough patch which I think we all know as startup founders um, can come and go on a daily basis. So my words of advice, be cognizant of how much information you disclose to your team and the potential repercussions of the information you are sharing and the timing of the disclosure of that info. I've recently thought about this issue and using the term conscious visibility with this topic, which to me means a balanced approach to transparency while not being misleading to the team. As I always say, there needs to be an adult in the room, even if that burden can be difficult for the leaders of the company at times. And always remember that this is what you signed up for when you decided to start a company and work for yourself. Some days are better than others, and on occasion, you do in fact have to be a leader and lead your team. That's all I have for today. Now back to you, Frank.
1: All right. Thanks, John. Next up, we've got Rich Malloy, our VP of Engagement at Established. Um, he's got some tips for tips for startup founders with a segment called the VC
3: Minute. Hi, this is Rich Molloy with Established Ventures, bringing you the VC Minute. Quick advice to help startup founders fundraise better. Let's talk about one word you should never say while fundraising. Conservative. Your pro forma financial statements are not Conservative. Your revenue projections are not conservative. They are complete fabrications, and that's okay. The point of your pro forma financials is not to accurately forecast how you get to 10 million MRR by year three. The purpose is in the name. Pro forma is Latin for for form, as in something done for the sake of doing it. Whether or not I believe you're going to get to 10 million MRR by year three is beside the point. The point is in the exercise of doing it. I want to see where you think that revenue is coming from, what your cost of sales is, is that realistic? What's your staffing plan? How are you gonna spend the money? Show me how you get from here to there and then let me better understand the drivers of your growth. When you say your projections are conservative, it says two things to me. First, it reinforces the fact that you haven't done this before, you haven't been through this process before or else you wouldn't say that. And second, if they're conservative projections, Why are you presenting them to a growth investor? Show me your aggressive projections. The lesson here is that you don't need to label them at all because you've already done so. They are pro forma. They should reflect the growth that you expect to achieve to hit your milestones in order to raise your next round of funding. That's all for the VC Minute. Back to you, Frank
1: thanks team. Great tips as always. And I wanted to invite everyone that's listening to get involved with with our programs, not just the start of the year program, but as I mentioned, uh, we work with other organizations on their programs as well. So to find out more about those, as it's always changing, we're always, you know, continuing to work with new organizations, um, go to www.established.com dot us forward slash programs that's www.establish.us forward slash programs In any web browser and you should find a little area where it says get notified you can sign up for more you can learn more about some of the programs that are currently available and uh, learn about new startup opportunities that will be popping up as they do and uh, lots of new things happening in the ecosystem around the country and we're continuing to work with new partners and uh, so there could, could be some new things throughout the year. Finally, uh, we're still offering a free domain thanks to our partnership with .us, Uh free domain on us, if you will. Um, so go go to uh, est.us forward slash summit dot, sorry, est.us summit US, and you can register right away to get a new domain. Um, so if you have an idea you've been sitting on or you just thought of something or wanted to create a, a shorter extension for your existing business or a different extension with .us domain, you simply go to est.us forward slash Summit US and you should be able to get that domain right away. Um, it's free. So go check that out uh, and get that going right away. Okay, now let's listen in to our conversation I had recently with Kara Golden from Hint Inc. Can you share um, your story about after coming out of college, what your kind of path and you know, trajectory was with, with um, how you were going about getting a job because it's very interesting. It kind of shares an important quality of persistence and uh, your no fear attitude.
0: Yeah, so I, I was graduating from uh, ASU and I had, I back up a little bit. When I was at ASU, I was a journalism major and I was really like kind of afraid of finance like I just it it was it was something that was super daunting to me and and so I took that time while I was in school to take some finance classes and what I found was that if I read the Wall Street Journal every day and also Fortune which um, at that time was every couple of weeks uh, I would you know have these questions and I would actually go to my professor and and talk to him about things that I just wasn't clear about or didn't understand. And so when I was graduating from school, I just thought, "Wow, I, I've learned so much from reading, you know, these publications. Maybe I can go and get a job there and actually write, because I was journalism major." And so I, um, you know, wrote a letter to the managing editor of Fortune magazine, um, this gentleman Marshall Loeb, and said I. I'm graduating from school, I'd, I'd love to get a job with you. And, you know, he wrote me this very nice, like dear college student. Um, I think he actually said Kara, but he said, dear college student, this isn't, you know, no openings right now, but definitely if you're in the New York area, um, to let us know and, and maybe we can meet. So I took that letter very literally and, um, bought a plane ticket. I made a few stops along the way in some other States, which is in the book as well, but yep. stopped in Fort at fortune's offices in New York. And this is before security, um, at the bottom of the building. And I knew that HR was where you started the interviewing process or that's what I thought. So I went to the HR department and I, I still remember the, uh, the face of the, the receptionist that was sitting there when I walked in and I said, hi, I'm here to see Marshall Loeb. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have this letter that I I'm here to interview with them. And she said, uh, I don't know what to do with this woman so she, um so she got her manager and then the manager got the head of hr and you know pretty quickly they were saying to me this is actually um not going to happen and marshall's not available and i don't think he expected you to fly out or whatever i was just listening to what they were saying right. to me and um so i said oh that's too bad i'm leaving tomorrow and uh, the head of HR said, you know, there's actually this one role that they're trying to fill, and it's not a writer, it's an executive assistant, but would you be interested in interviewing for that? Probably pressure that they couldn't find a person and they were getting- Right. Get, get, like, what know.
1: can we find to get this woman in front of somebody? <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: yeah, and so yeah. I figured it was in the building and- So why not? Like I was, I I should just go for it. And so I ended up getting a role um, within circulation, which I now talk about, you know, for my sort of core business that you mentioned hint is 55% of our uh, business is actually direct to consumer, which is very, you know, unusual for a beverage company. Um, And so a lot of people point back to my AOL days and while AOL Yep, definitely was was part of sort of my learning, learning about consumers and circulation, the group that I was working in. And again, I started out as an executive assistant, moved into an assistant manager role eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where I learned so much about the consumers. But It ended up, like, I didn't even know this until a few months later, um, and was really, really, um, you know, kind of propelled when I ended up meeting my now husband. But, like, that year that I graduated was an incredibly hard year to find a job. Like, everybody was, you know, having a really tough time getting a job. And, again, like, I'm sure people said that to me, but I just was like, well, I have to find a job, so I'm going to go and find one. and. So I think there's no better time than now to to sort of understand that when you know I hear people saying like, oh gosh, like no one's gonna be there's no jobs out there. There's right. always right. jobs, right? You right. just have to figure out how to you know be creative and getting in to see you know these people so I, so yeah, that's that's the story. And, um, and,
1: and then, obviously, fast forward to 2011, you were named one of the 10 most powerful women entrepreneurs in, in America by Fortune magazine. So yeah, it's, it, it all comes crazy. around.
0: Yeah. And I think I mean, it's funny. I still remember Patty Sellers, who runs Most Powerful Women um, mm-hmm. program. I still remember her face when she asked me what my first job was. And <laughs> she was doing it. She was doing an editorial um, brief on on Hint. And mm-hmm. starting hint and and I said I I actually worked in this building and uh, she said what did you do and she just was like dying I mean it was she just couldn't believe that I actually started there so again I think you know it just it also creates you know a great story too yeah. where people like along the way I think people have also remembered those stories and part of the reason why I really wanted to write it down and you know, to share some of those stories, because I think there's a lot of lessons in there. Um, Mm -hmm. What this book isn't is a one, two, three, this is how you're going to become an entrepreneur. But I've always felt that through stories and other people's stories, I've been able to really think about how I get through tough things, because everybody's situation is different. It may seem similar, but it's a little bit different. But if you start to hear other people's stories on how they were, you know, getting through challenging times, or they just went for it, mm-hmm. or, you know, they got through their doubts that that is really, you know, what ultimately gets you to get up and and just go and try.
1: Yeah, it's definitely inspirational. and And definitely, I found that with reading your book. So so you jumped out. You jumped into 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 your first gig. It was in the publishing space, and then you took that and kind of parlayed it into the next publishing kind of space, which was not publishing. It was actually TV media. So you worked at CNN, and then yeah. and then jumped into the next kind of media space, which was um, you know the internet, which you know you were in at Two Market, and uh, it which turned into AOL. Um, those various media and sales roles obviously are are all kind of as progression of media is kind of changed. It seems like you were kind of riding that wave. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you, you kind of left all that to, to drive, to dive into, you know, the consumer packaging world, which, you know, you were, you were new to. So I wanted to, I was curious to find out what you learned from those other roles that you kind of took with you that allowed you to kind of dive in like that.
0: You know, it, it's interesting. It's always like, almost more fun to look back in the rear view mirror and see kind of what you've learned rather than when you're in it. But I think clearly um, culture for me was like something that I, you know, when I was going to go and build my own company again, like I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't even know I was going to go and start my own company. I mean, I didn't leave AOL to go and start my own company. I, Mm -hmm. I really, you know, found that it was, really a place where I was at that point. And I was having kids, I had three kids at the time and, and, um, and that's kind of, you know, we'll get to that probably in a minute, but I think, you know, from, from the culture, when I look back at, you know, time versus CNN versus, you know, my first Silicon Valley experience and, you know, with three guys in a, and not a little better than a garage i mean we had a small office in san mateo mm-hmm. um it it was you know such a huge change and i look back on you know so many things that that i learned and and kind of ultimately would take with me mm-hmm. into the culture that i created and i think like probably the most important thing that i that i feel like i learned that i still you know try and encourage people that work for me. And I certainly look for this when I'm actually hiring people is somebody that I can learn from. Like, I think that so often as managers, we think of ourselves as like the, the top of the heap. Right. And that we're, we're looking at these managers to kind of do things right. That maybe you don't want to do, or, um, you know, and, and again, like it goes down like the, the, the road a little bit, I, how I'm viewing it, but I feel like there's um, in order to actually keep people engaged and excited, um, the that the thing that I've learned is that you hire people that actually know something that you don't, and I really believe that at every single level that you know it's it's to make sure that you can actually get keep retention and you know keep people engaged. Right. Like you can't have people sitting in these roles and not learning. And so I'm constantly like asking people the question, which is kind of weird when you um, have never heard this before, but I, I, I'll always say to our managers and final sign off on, on hiring people. I'm like, are they, are they smarter than you? Or what do they know that you don't know? Right there. And and that's like, uh, I don't know. And then the first time I shared that story in the book too, that of our employees i mean a great employee i told him i was like people were gonna like poach him for sure because Mm -hmm. he like knew so much but i'm like you need to like start hiring people that are going to teach you because that's how you're going to stay engaged and you're going to be able to move on and work closer with you know people that are above you um when you know that so i think like that's that's a big thing that i've kind of learned also from startups and seeing you know I, I think that that's been a little bit different from, from maybe some of the larger companies like time, for example, where there was definitely a culture there, but the startup mentality is, you know, let's bring really smart people into the room so that we can just get better. And I, and I loved that. And I think that it, you know, really transfers into any industry or any role that you're doing.
1: Yeah, and I think the theme you're t- touching on as well um, is that lifetime learning theme, right? Like it kind of drove you from like place to place. You always wanted to continue to, you were curious and you know, I wanted to learn things. And I think that's obviously super important in career development for anyone and obviously propelled you into what you're doing. So let's talk a little bit more about AOL because I, I also was an AOLer for a bit there. Nice. Um, you were early. I mean, you were an early AOLer. You were, I mean, you pioneered kind of the online e-commerce space for AOL shopping, which well, what turned into AOL shopping. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, about that first, you, you opened the first office in San Francisco, which I think is really cool out of your home. (laughs) What was that like? (laughs) It had to be pretty interesting. It was
0: was crazy because again, like I was part of a group that actually got acquired by AOL. And so, um, for the most part, they laid off the team that was right. at this company to market. That was a, It was a spin out actually of Apple and it was an old Steve Jobs idea um, mm-hmm. and that was inside of Apple and then they decided not to go forward with it. And so that this three guys that were working at Apple spun it out and I ended up just, I was obsessed with Steve Jobs. Like early on, I just, I love the fact that he used design and simplicity to and and really like listen to the consumer and but not in a traditional way more around solving problems um, for consumers and so I've been really really obsessed with sort of who he was like you know as a creator and as a leader and so when I moved to the Bay Area I ended up reading an article about this this project that was going on that had spun out of Apple. And, you know, there were a few CD-ROM um, companies that were out there, Launch and mm-hmm. and us, and just only a couple of them that were out there that were really kind of on the forefront of of e-commerce. And, you know, for those of you who are too, too young to remember, I mean, the key reason why it was important to actually put it on a disc was that you know, we didn't have like broadband, right? Like we were. There was no internet. (laughs) There was no internet. Right. And so, you know, it was kind of brilliant. Steve, um, had this idea that to actually put it all onto a disc and then just tell the consumer to just keep hitting update on your computer. And so this stuff all went onto your hard drive, but most consumers had no idea what it was. Right. And so, um, so anyway, when they ended up, Um, when I joined them, my task was to build out shopping. They had a few retailers on there before I got there, but, um, but basically, you know, I just thought like my job was kind of dreamy. Like, first Mm -hmm. of all, I join and, you know, I've got experience from time and CNN and I care about like actually selling people stuff and then getting money. And I walk into this, they had no revenue model at all. And so I was like, you know, you at least have a revenue bottle, maybe you like discount it or something, but you at least have some sort of rate card to go off of. Otherwise you're, you know, it's hard to go from zero to something because people feel like now you're charging, you know? And so I brought in that whole concept. So basically AOL was um, an investor in our company. And when I, um, had joined, they were like, how are you guys getting the gap and all of these different retailers, J crew. And I'm like, I don't know. I just pick up the phone and call them and we figure out how to make this thing work. And, and so, um, so they acquired us, you know, primarily because of the relationships that we had with the partners, which was the group that I was running. So they laid off pretty much our whole team, um, except for a few of us. And the deal was that because I was going to retailers and traveling all over the country that I was able to keep my job. Um, and so I was traveling San Francisco to, um, at that time, Dallas, um, and, and, you know, we had just moved, they had just moved from Vienna over to Dallas, and then opened up, uh, the New York office as well. And, um, and then San Francisco, they started to build up the team a little bit more. And, you know, they had, had sales out here and whatsoever. And, you know, different, a few different groups that was working out of there. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy to kind of, you know, be on the forefront. I can't actually say that I was there very often at the office because I right. was, you know, my role was to kind of go to these retailers' offices and really kickstart them, you know, mm. and, and move them you know into uh into the real world of shopping online
1: right really interesting stuff now there was one kind of funny um, or amusing benefit of having that that aol office uh it sounds like you got a lot of mail what, what t- tell us a little bit more about what what arrived at that office <laughs>
0: yeah well um i mean it's it's interesting that actually came to um well even before we built the office in downtown san francisco which i Mm-hmm. actually ended up finding for A- for aol and and i had my home office in san francisco right. and that they used like on letterhead because i think i was the only one there um in san francisco at the time and so uh they used to send us all kinds of stuff like umbrellas and t-shirts and jackets and all kinds of stuff so i would get like these like pallets of of umbrellas that said aol on them and i kept calling and emailing and saying, Hey, listen, I'm just like a person, like I'm, I'm a, <laughs> you're
1: the you one know, person <laughs> VP
0: out here, but I just like, I have a remote staff all throughout the country and I don't like, I can't bring like giant umbrellas on a plane, you know, whatever yeah. to go and see my clients. And so um, finally, when we ended up moving out of that place, I mean, the the running joke was like we would say to people, "Okay, well, if you spend in our garage sale X number of dollars or buy three things, we were laughing through the entire garage sale. We're like, we'll throw in an uh, AOL umbrella and (laughs) or like we had fossil watches too like we were wow. like got fossil watches you know and mm-hmm. anyway we were we were cracking up it was so funny and i just i mean i felt bad initially and then i'm like i have called and told them so many times and now i'm just expanding the brand so
1: yep that's pretty funny, funny. i mean you had more umbrellas and watches than you could you could really use <laughs> at that point
0: totally it was hysterical
1: yep all right so let's let's talk a little bit more about aol and then jump into your current company um, hint. So you, 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 there was some turning point within AOL that kind of pushed you in, into the, into that kind of becoming an accidental entrepreneur. Um, it was a particular surprise. It's particularly surprising to me because of the way that, you know, AOL, was, when I was there, uh, which was in 0- 06 and, and beyond, was a very friend, family-friendly place. And, and obviously on the East Coast, they had childcare on campus. They had lots of family events. It was, there were a lot of families, you know, that, or people that, that had families that worked there. Um, but you were there in in '99 and, and 2000, and um, you you left to have your first child, and then came back, and something happened. Can you share a little bit about that experience and how that kind of was a tipping point?
0: Yeah, and you know, I think it it just speaks to, a, you know, a lot of people don't really understand that you know the '90s and the early 2000s was just you know super crazy in tech. I mean, there weren't that many women. Um, I mean, if you think that there are a few women now. I mean, there were a lot less, you know, women that yeah. were actually working and especially at sort of VP and above levels. And so, um, you know, I wanted a family and I, you know, people had uh, clearly had families at AOL at the time, but I think like the biggest challenge was um, when I ended up taking maternity leave and um, I ended up having a, an emergency C-section um, and ended up having to take a little bit more time. And the laws were sort of like fuzzy as to how long, like we didn't have the state laws, you know, as locked down as they are today around what you can and can't do. And again, like I look at, you know, sort of that time as, um, as one where I also talk about it as like, I'm, I'm not angry about it. I think what, mm-hmm. what I was really trying to, you know, chat about was that it was, it was like the wild west of like, nobody really knew like what should happen when women go on maternity leave. And if they have like an emergency, you know, as I did, like, you know, what exactly happened? So when I showed up after coming back from um, six months leave, when I showed up, my office was gone. And Mm -hmm. like, there was, I mean, like my stuff was gone. It was in, in, in a warehouse somewhere. And I, you know, here I'm like running a major piece of revenue for AOL and, you know, the HR department just had never really dealt with a woman, you know, who was, away on maternity leave like right. through and and so I could have a doctor's note right and- how dare
1: you build a family right yeah. and it was just and it
0: was just crazy and so yep. ultimately I mean I I literally like went in the hallway and sat on the ground and and that like continued for like a couple of days Right. and right. like people felt really awkward about it but they also didn't have the ability like people were offering me their desk and their office and stuff they just thought I mean I was senior to them and I'm like having to deal with this. And, right. you know, there was probably a few bad actors in, in the whole, you know, group that just was like, oh, whatever. And, but I think for the most part, it just speaks to, you know, how as we're building this entirely new industry, there was just this, you know, group of people around, you know, really like family rights that were, right. that they, it was just beyond clueless. And And I think for me, Um, that was a point where I just thought like here I've built something pretty significant and I really want um, you know to continue to do that but I'm not sure this is the place for me and again I think it just goes back to culture and things that I saw were done right um, things that I saw were frankly done wrong and I just and I felt like you know when you're when you're building the airplane while flying it, which I think is very much what AOL did. I, I also, you know, share that I'm not sure that somebody as high as like Steve Case even knew what was going on. Right. You know, that there was just, and I think that's really hard when you go through, you know, hyper growth in a company and build that fast. That's the danger, right? Where you're, you know, you've got to have people, amazing people in HR that are kind of watching this sort of stuff and, really recognizing, you know, if you've got a female who actually wants a family who is, you know, who's coming back from maternity leave, like, don't take her office away. Like, actually, like, you know, don't have her sitting in the hallway, like, things like that were just, you know, completely, um, you know, foreign. And, and I wouldn't say that that was going on in every single tech company at the time. But it was, um, you know, it clearly was that way at AOL.
1: Right. Really interesting. Obviously, there's been a lot of change in, um, in the industry um, since yeah. then. So I'm obviously happy to see that. We're seeing even um, parental leave, which is uh, there's some folks that are pushing for that as well uh, across the board. So definitely interesting to see. And, and obviously, it's getting um, not as tone deaf to what the situation is anymore. Totally. Totally. Uh, OK, so let's move on. You're, you went. So you took some time off after a while in, in 2012. Uh, 2000, year 2000, um, you you left and, and built a family. Um, and what spurred you um, to want to start Hint Water?
0: Yeah, so I, I took a couple of years off, which is also kind of a, you know, not the thing to do that you're supposed to do, but I really felt like I was, um, you know, going to spend time with my family. I had three kids at the time. And yep. um, and I didn't want to have a role that I was traveling so much. The United Airlines pilot knew me every time I got on the plane, which I thought was frightening. And I thought like that doesn't need to be that way. And and um, and Silicon Valley was growing, so I just thought I can find something here where closer to home where I live. And so um, I was interviewing for different tech jobs, um, but was also kind of feeling like. Um, you know, if 9-11 happened and I, and I think for me, it was a wake up call to, you know, kind of think about if I'm doing something, does it really make a difference in some, in some way? And I wanted to do something that did make a difference. And I kept thinking that that was like maybe a nonprofit. Um, I looked around at nonprofits, the problem with nonprofits, at least the ones that I was interviewing with were, they just kind of moved slowly and i felt like at AOL we were you know moving very quickly and building very quickly and that kind of wasn't necessarily the way things worked in in the nonprofits that i was speaking to and so while i was kind of on these two paths like looking at tech and looking at nonprofits i decided i'm going to get healthy i had gained a bunch of weight over the course of having kids i had um, also developed terrible adult acne, which I didn't even have as like a teenager. And my energy levels were just like crashing. And mm-hmm. I wasn't traveling like I had been, you know, for AOL. And I I really thought like, gosh, I don't know why this is happening, but there's this new store that had just opened in San Francisco that, was, um, that seemed like super healthy. And so I'm going to shop there and then I'm going to exercise and i knew how to do all of that and Mm -hmm. so that's when um you know i really felt like i was reading labels and doing everything that i was supposed to do and none of it was working and Mm -hmm. so one day um my diet soda that was like my best friend was sitting on the counter and i turned it around and saw the ingredients Um, and i'd been reading labels in food but never in my drink i turned it around and saw how like how many ingredients and I wasn't a science major but I took some science classes and I still thought that like I I just don't know what these ingredients are and I remember like thinking I cared more about what I was putting in my car than I actually did inside of my body and here is here I've got these young kids and you Mm. know what am I doing like I'm just on autopilot just throwing you know stuff in me. And that's when I really just decided to not do the diet soda anymore and put it to the side and I started drinking water. And after a couple of days, I thought, okay, I actually feel better. Um, you know, I know it's better for me. I aspired to be a water drinker, but the, the taste was just boring. And so I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water. And then, um, And then after two and a half weeks, I lost over 24 pounds, my skin totally cleared. And yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And my energy levels came back. And that's when I really started to kind of get upset with like the industry, because I thought here I've been like trying really hard to get healthy. And I've been really banking on the fact that diet soda was better for me. Again, I wasn't drinking full-fledged. Coke, Right. I was I was drinking diet and and I thought, how many other people are like suffering from this and and are, you know, drinking things because they think that they're low, their diet or low fat or or vitamin or whatever. And so that's when I started like on this crusade to actually find the product first and went to that local Whole Foods and realized that everything that was, you know, what I had perceived as health was actually healthy perception versus healthy reality. And that there was no still water that had fruit in it that didn't have sweeteners in it. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, I really doubted myself and doubted my ability to find these products. I looked on the East Coast as well. And this went on for like a year. And then finally, I thought, okay, I'm still kind of looking for like that perfect you know, role out there that I want to take, but it'd just be awesome to get this product, you know, into the, on the shelves at, in a store like Whole Foods. And I started kind of inquiring with my local store, not really knowing what I was embarking on, but I said, like, how do I get a product on the shelf? I've got Mm -hmm. this idea. And, um, at that time, um, Whole Foods actually worked really close. I can't say what they do now. Um, but, they work very closely with the local community and they had like, I don't know, anywhere between like five and 10% of their shelf, depending on the category was, um, saved for like local products. And so I, um, you know, had this idea just be really fun. Like just while I'm on leave, you know, from actually having a real job, it'd be just like a kick to like get a product on the shelf. And again, I had been working in bits and bytes for so many years that I just thought like the idea of actually like holding on to a product would just be super cool. And, um, and so that's, you know, really how I came up with the idea. Um, I had no idea what I was embarking on. I mean, I really thought like, Okay, you get it into Whole Foods and then, you know, snap your finger and mm-hmm. you're done. And, and so, you know, fast forward today, I mean, and a lot of what I talk about in the book too is just really the building of Hint and how many challenges. I mean, I had no idea not only were we building a company, but we were building an entirely new category. So when, what that means is, um, you know, when we would go in and talk to Safeway, for example, they would tell us that there's like this planogram, and it's and basically the planogram and beverage is like juice and water and diet soda and soda, and, and that's it. Like, <laughs> there's that's nothing it. else. <laughs> and and you don't fit. And right. so I was like, well, make room. And they're like, that's not how it works. Like that's above my pay grade to actually put you yeah. into that. And like, is so- there
1: any sugar in here? We got to That's what goes with the sugary drinks. Like, is it, that's yeah, that's like it do, was.
0: Right? It was crazy. And yeah. so then I started hearing more and more that like, you know, this industry has 2000 beverages in it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we can't make room for, for you guys and whatever, and and I never set out to launch a beverage company. What mm-hmm. I did was set out to to really enable health. And right. this was the vehicle, like mm-hmm. the through water, because I felt like if people would start drinking water, mm-hmm. whether it's plain water or a product like Hint, then we could actually help them get healthier. We could help them drink water. We could help them, you know, cure diseases that they were dealing with. We could help them maintain diseases that they, we were dealing with, and that for me was just was actually exactly what I wanted to do around my mission of of really helping people and feeling good about what I did every day, and and so you know we. Yeah, I mean, it's that was like the beginning of it. And, and I think I never really allowed myself and part of also what, you know, I talk about in the book is, like, I, I really believe that if you tell yourself, like all the reasons why you can't do something, then you won't do it. right? Right. So the number of, and then you'll find doubters who will also be more than willing to remind you. I mean, I started this company with four kids under the age of six. And Mm -hmm. like, people would say to me like, oh gosh, like, what's it like? Like, and, and I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? (laughs) And it's like, and you know, you do what you, what you've got to do. And as I, you know, always say, it's like, sometimes it'll take you longer, right? Right. To do it. I wasn't in a hurry. There were days when, you know, I wanted to go to play group and I wanted to, you know, be with my young kids. And, but Mm -hmm. the beauty of being able to start my own company too, is that, you know, after they went to bed at, you know, 7.30 at night, then I'd be back on and on the computer. And I think, again, that's more common today. It wasn't, you know, when I started 15 years ago, people weren't doing that kind of stuff. And so I believe that, you know just by sharing my own stories not only with you know how you build a company as a parent but also you know how you step into an industry that you don't know anything about you um you know you just try right and if and you just go and do and it's really invigorating because again going back to what i said earlier around educating i i You know, I knew nothing about the beverage industry. The first two years was like getting my MBA in beverage and a whole new world out there. And I was now at the bottom of the heap. And I was like willing to, you know, come into meetings with people at crazy hours because, you know, I probably wasn't going to be able, I was going to be a waste of their time. But after a while, they were like, okay, wait, she might actually be able to do this. I'm not confident yet, but Mm -hmm. um, so so that is, you know, that's what the story really is.
1: Yeah. So it's it's a very inspiring story, and um, I mean, it gives you some really good details about you know the history of, of Hint, Hint Water and, and how you got it started. I think one that stands out to me is when you came to your husband to tell him you were going to do this, <laughs> and you came and said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna build this company," but you had something else you wanted to share as well. Can you talk about that real quick?
0: Yeah. So I had written the business plan, and yeah. I was. Um, you know, had this all planned out. I, I sort of didn't mention it to him because I thought I want to get it kind of figured out before I spring on him that I'm going to be pulling $50,000 out of our bank account to buy bottles and, you know, <laughs> do some other stuff. And yeah, um, yeah. and so when I decided to do that, I shared with him that I was going to start this company. He didn't really think it was a great idea because I didn't have experience. He was my doubter for a minute. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I shared with him, that he should really be pretty nice to me because I'm actually having our fourth child that
3: surprise
0: surprise, we're (laughs) we're doing it. And uh, so he walked out of the room. I wasn't really sure if he was going to come back or not, but um, (laughs) i was sort of like listening for footsteps in the house to see if he was going to come back. So then he he came back and, you know, he said, okay, what can I do to help? And he said, obviously you know, you've really been inspired by your ability to kind of get your health back. And I get it. I've been living with it. But this is totally crazy. You also, you know, made some money at AOL. So, you know, you can do with it, whatever you want. I don't think it's a great idea. But, you know, by the way, let's, you know, let me go with you to this bottling plant that you're going to in Chicago and, you know, kind of look a little closer. He's an intellectual property lawyer. He was at uh, Netscape. And, um, so he had, was also taking a little bit of time off and that's when I think when he went with me to the plant, he really saw that, you know, this idea was not for me just about, um, you know, building a beverage company, but it truly was helping people get healthier. And he, you know, he's the son of a doctor who has, you know, always really wanted to you know, improve people's health. And for him, he thought, gosh, like for less than two bucks a bottle, as long as it's great tasting, you may actually start to improve people's health without like lecturing them or prescribing them something like you could actually create this change as long as the product tastes great. And I'm like, exactly like that is what we want to do. So it was like this really big idea. And again, it was the two of us, like, like, you know couple with a van like going down the street i mean we were you know delivering product to initially whole foods and then we you know had some friends at google who we were i was actually talking to him about a job who you know shared with me that they had a a chef that was coming in and i said you guys should like have drinks as well mm-hmm. like kind of joking he's like oh okay here's the chef's you know name and number and um and so that's how like going our,
1: back to your distribution day you were just yeah. distributing the stuff based off of that past you know career
0: yeah and so you know i always share with people too it's like you know i probably wouldn't have gotten into google if i wouldn't have been you know hadn't have been at aol like i i think i i go back in time now and all these dots start to connect
3: mm-hmm. but
0: It helped us get in the door, but it didn't help us stay. Like we had to have a great product that actually pulled that, you know, employees wanted at Google. And so we became, you know, like the, you know, biggest beverage in Silicon Valley. We were the only beverage at Google for the first like 18 months, which also from a distribution standpoint, we were dealing with all kinds of challenges with grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we had no idea, like we were just trying. And I mean, Google was like, bigger for us than all of whole foods across the country and it was you know it was insane and people would you know write to us from google and tell us like bring more raspberry to google (laughs) like i mean this constant like communication that was going on with silicon valley um and they didn't know that i had like been at aol they were you know just loving the product and drinking it but you know, constantly we were hearing from consumers how we were helping them, you know, get off of soda, get their health back. And, you know, I still talk about consumers today. It's like, you know, it really not only drives me, but it also just speaks volumes to sort of what products do. I mean, consumers are, you know, definitely with, the internet i mean you know an email i mean it it's amazing like they will tell you if they hate your product if they love your product and we didn't have like that kind of communication it was like letters that get sent in the mail it's hard to do that today like i think consumers will really you know tell you what they think and i which i right. think is great it's it helps you know really drive the motivation i think for so many
1: definitely and so, well, congratulations on building this company now with your husband. That's that's a, a feat in itself too, right? I, I do that with my, my significant other as well. So that's, um, I guess, another thing we have in common. But what I wanted to share about that was 15 years now, plus you've been working on it together um, yeah. and you started with this mission. And now you're at this point where, you know, you've created, you know, water and you've done a bunch of other things though too. So can you talk a little bit more about that kind of health approach and what, what other areas you've kind of jumped into since um, you first launched?
0: Yeah. So a few years ago, we launched uh, sunscreen. I had a um, challenge on my nose with um, basal cells. Um, So, pre cancer stuff that Mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, you know, figure out exactly what was the best sunscreen. And what I realized is that everything was either, you know, unscented or it was tropical. And right. um, I happen to be allergic to coconut, so I'm always really skeptical whenever I see something that is tropical. And I and the reason like, you
1: did not start a coconut water company. As exactly,
0: well, right? exactly. <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, that was that was really kind of my own, you know, consumer thinking. I didn't have experience in the sunscreen industry, but I had done some digging and found that there was this ingredient called oxybenzone, which was. Um, in in sunscreens in the US um, and wasn't in sunscreens outside of the US. And I thought, oh, why is that? And then, you know, I did some more research on it and found that oxybenzone back in 1978 was approved but was recommended by the CDC not to be approved because it it exasperated, potentially exasperated pre-cancer cells under the skin. And I thought, okay, great. Like I've had way too much sun in my life. I'm a redhead. I should not, you know, have had so much sun, but I certainly don't want to be wearing something that is going to activate precancer cells. So um, did, did some more of a digging and figured that I actually don't need this ingredient in my sunscreen. And so I started making that sunscreen at home. I ended up buying all the ingredients and was playing around with it. And then mm-hmm. one day I actually had, um, some of the fruit um, essences from our waters. And I just threw it in there, some grapefruit. And I was like, wow, this smells great. Like, why aren't people like, right. why aren't companies putting different scents in sunscreens? And like, I would ask people who were buying unscented, I'm like, why are you buying unscented? And they didn't know. They were like, right. you know, and, and again, it's sort of my my distrust with like consumer products companies to mm-hmm. this point too and going back to sort of my diet story i thought you know we've all been like sold on like you know this whole concept of of unscented is better like i actually love scent like i right. I, I love candles i love you know i love smelling you know good scents. and so there's nothing wrong so long as you're actually doing the right thing. So I developed the sunscreen. A friend of mine told me it had to be approved by the FDA. And so I sent that in to actually get approval. And we finally got it. And you know what was the most fascinating thing? We sold it on, we had just kind of, you know, been, you know, cruising away on our direct-to-consumer company at that point, a few years in. And mm-hmm. we decided to launch it in January, our, which is oh, not prime time for, for sunscreen, but we had gotten the approval in December. We thought, what, what the mm-hmm. heck? And mm-hmm. we emailed all of our consumers and really shared like why I was starting the company and or starting, you know, this, this product. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. We had like a 40% response rate of, wow. you know, off of this email. It was really crazy. So it really spoke to the fact at that point that having this consumer connection that I didn't really realize prior to not doing direct to consumer was not available to me. Like here I was, you know, selling my products on the shelves at Whole Foods and right. you know, Target and Starbucks and all these places. They had all my data and my relationship with the consumers, but I didn't know, I didn't get like registered data from them. Right. So that was like the moment when I was really like ah, that like, this is the reason. And, and, you know, and ultimately we're just helping people get healthier. So since then, since the sunscreen, we've also launched, um, deodorant, um, the end of last year. Um, and that stemmed out of my realization that aluminum, um, is in, uh, antiperspirants. Um, my dad who had a major impact on me Actually had Alzheimer's um, about Mm -hmm. ten years ago, passed away. And you know, when that happens to you, um, you know, you start to do research around like what is
1: this crazy? What happened? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) And while there's no cure for Alzheimer's, um, there the consistent thread amongst doctors is that aluminum is probably not a great thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, I thought about aluminum as aluminum cans aluminum foil. But I never really realized that here I was putting antiperspirant on every single day, you know, right next to places that I don't want to have problems. And then I was also telling my, you know, teenagers to do that as well. And I thought, huh, I wonder if I really, you know, need this product or not. And that's Mm -hmm. when I, you know, decided to just, to to just develop my own at that point too. And, um, I mean, it's an incredible product. Actually, I have people that are obsessed with it. It's, it's on Amazon as well as on our site, but people are, um, you know, I really did not think that a lot of the so-called like better for you natural deodorants that were out there were that Mm -hmm. great. A lot of them also had a coconut base, which again is fine. Coconut, but um, and then our most recent product that I developed during COVID from sitting have, at home. Here. Yep. Is, yeah. It's the hand sanitizer. Yeah. And, that, yeah, and that product, um, you know, again, I don't think hand sanitizers are going away for people, but nope. I found that, you know, a lot of these hand sanitizers that are out there are, I mean, I accidentally took a pump of one um, the other day in a store and it uh, smelled like tequila and I asked, the, I asked the guy, I was like, is that tequila? And he was like, yeah, it kills the germs. And I'm like, yeah, but now my hands smell like tequila, tequila yeah. in the middle of the day. Probably not yep. such a great uh, thing to do. So anyway, I, I feel like, you know, the, the key thing is, is while water is, you know, where our bread is buttered, as I like to say, mm-hmm. you know, I think that we not only lead consumers to health, but we can potentially lead categories to do better. Right, where right. you know ingredients like oxybenzone, or you know, or just offering alternatives, and we're not. I I really think that that's an important differentiator for our company because what I've seen is that if you know if you're running a company that is truly around health, I mean, you want people to do better. You you're calling them to the table, right, to right. actually not have bad ingredients and not create products that smell like tequila, um, right. you know, or, or whatever. So.
1: Right. That makes sense. Okay. Let's, let's dive in and switch gears. Let's talk about the book. Yeah. Right here. Uh, you know, it came out October 20th. It's a great, uh, it's undaunted overcoming doubts and doubters. We talked a lot about the doubts and doubters. Can you share, um, what does it mean to be un- undaunted and why is it, you know, why is that the overarching kind of message of the book?
0: Yeah. So you know what I realized. So there's a few different ways to write a book. Um, first of all, I didn't intend to write a book. I um, I didn't sort of dream of being an author one day. I think for me it was um, I would be out speaking over the last few years, and you know always hear from questions that were thrown at me. Um, things like you know you're fearless. You know you've never had any doubts. You've never had any failures, and mm-hmm. I felt like there was like a need to kind of set the record straight. And sometimes I would do this in, you know, the talks, as I said, to answer some of those, you know, questions, statements, really, um, that, that I've met a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders, successful people, athletes along the way. And I think that every single one of them has had doubts. They've had doubters, they've had failures, they've had fears and, you know, I, I feel like being a successful person kind of like it's been glamorized to a point where it, it's just not real. Like these people are human. They they do have the doubts and they do have the doubters along the way. And so I felt like I, I started journaling about some of these stories that I had had along the way and some of the stuff I would talk about in different talks. Mm-hmm. And I thought like if I could actually put a lot of these things out there, um, as uh, Guy Kawasaki um, said to me after he read the book, he uh, he said, "Kara, who would be, want to become an entrepreneur after they read this book?" <laughs> and I said, "But I'm still standing, and right. I'm still, you know, smiling. And it was hard, but it was worth it, right? right?" And so I think that my hope and is really that this book will inspire, you know want to be entrepreneurs, existing entrepreneurs, um, to really go out and try. And that I, I fundamentally believe that if you do try and you don't allow walls to get up too high in front of you and, and figure out how to, you know, just take steps along the way that it's, that it is something that that you can accomplish. And hopefully by hearing people or by people hearing my story, that they'll be inspired and that they, you know, that will give them the oomph to go do it. And it could also just be too around getting up, right? Like, look, the last, you know, this 2020 has been crazy for a lot of people, including me. And I think it's, it's a, it's a time to sort of look at, like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, know is is this is this everything that i want to be doing or why do i feel like you know i was talking to a group earlier this morning around um you know their company is going through um some changes and the ceo asked me to come in and really talk about you know how like our company had gone through some changes too when all of the offices throughout the u.s closed and right. we had a huge distribution into a lot of those offices, and right. you know we made some quick decisions and we asked people to get on board with it. And um, but I feel like there's there are messages that need to um, be also sent to people to figure out like is this really what I want to be doing, right? Do I want right. to be living in this city? Do I want to, you know, continue working for uh, this company? Um, and I feel like that now there's no better time to actually hear from somebody who's had those thoughts, who's been through lots of different things, um, and, in different times as well that have been challenging, um, to say like, you can do it if you set your mind to it. And here's just my story.
1: I love it. It's such a great, um, snapshot of, of the entrepreneurial journey. I think that's what I really enjoyed the most. And, that, you know, like you said, like it's been painted this picture of like, you know, the <laughs> lifestyles of the rich and famous startup founders and of that kind of, na- you know, nature. And that's not real. And I think it this no. is real. So I appreciate you putting this out. It's real. How can people? Um, how can people find the book? Where is the best? Yeah. Book? Where, where should so they find A-
0: Amazon? It's called undaunted and overcoming doubts and doubters and also on uh, on undaunted the book, um, dot com as well. So either one of those.
1: Great. And how can people connect to you if they wanted to, you know, reach out with a question, thought, anything like that?
0: Yeah. So it's just on all social channels. It's Kara Golden um, with an I. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you, and le- love to hear what you think about the book too.
1: I would love to hear your favorite part of the book, real quick. What's your favorite part My of the book?
0: Favorite part of the book. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's probably um, it's probably the Grand Canyon story um, mm-hmm. because I I relive it um, over and over again. And, uh, you know, it's interesting is, uh, Jamie Diamond actually, um, has kind of been a mentor to me over the years and he, uh, I gave him a preview of the book and he said the same thing that it was, you know, this kind of hit home for him. because what I've realized.
1: Don't spoil it. Spoiler. spoil it. Swirling, yeah. Don't spoil the part. Get, let him get yeah. the book, but so look for the grand Canyon section. <laughs> in Definitely.
0: Book. Yes, definitely. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thank Thanks so much, so much. I We really <laughs>
1: appreciate it. Wow, fascinating stuff. thank you so much again, Kara for for joining us and really excited about your new book. It's great. Uh, loved it. so if you haven't read it yet out there it's ah uh, it's undaunted and you can go pretty much get it on any platform right now. and so it was a uh, it's a, it's a best selling book, so it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, and you can also go check out karagolden.com dot com and uh, learn more about it there as well as she mentioned. so, um, grab your copy today and, uh, definitely let us know what you think about it. And your in the comments on our, our podcast. So appreciate you all listening to the conversation today. And as we wrap up this episode, this wild 2020, as this probably is the last episode of the year, I hope you uh, enjoyed our, our podcast so far this year and, uh, look forward to having you back next year and hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. And uh, we'll be back with more uh, episodes of the start of your podcast. But before, you know, you're gonna be sitting at home probably or hanging out with friends, uh, maybe in a, in a virtual world of some sort um, this holiday season. If, if an idea sparks you and you think about uh, a startup idea that, that comes to mind, um, don't sit on it, journal it, write it down somewhere on your phone or something and start continuing to whittle away on um, kind of honing in on what that might look like. And uh, that'll be your first steps into actually starting up and and, you know, you don't want it to just sit on it. So get, get it started right away because today is the best day to start. And you might have some of those days coming up now that you're freed up for the next few weeks, potentially, for for the holidays. So hope, you, hope that helps you spark uh, some some thoughts or turn some ideas into action. Well, until, until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Happy holidays. Stay safe out there and be well. This is the Startup of the Year podcast. Signing off for 2020.
0: Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.